Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Little Feminist. Little Feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf. Each month, they send one to two books featuring characters of underrepresented backgrounds. Little Feminist spends months consulting with a team of educators and librarians and parents to pick each book and create a suite of hands-on activities to accompany them. Whether it's treasure hunts or DIY musical instruments, the goal of the included activities is to make the stories come alive for both children and families. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER for $5 off when you order. Raise good humans one children's book at a time. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. So First Rule of Punk has been, um, I did not know that it was being sold through Scholastic um, until somebody, until I, I, I think I posted somewhere, oh, you know, my dream is to like one day see my book in a, like a book order form sure. <laughs> so I can frame it. <laughs> and, and then somebody's like, yeah, it is in a book order form. <laughs> and they showed it, they showed me a photo and. Um... Feeling like an outsider? Have I got a book for you. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 543. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking to Celia C. Perez, author of Strange Birds, A Field Guide to Ruffling Feathers. Celia's sophomore release is about four girls and one hat that bonded them in sororal friendship. It's about the floras and how traditions are made to be challenged. It's about activism and how others will stand in your way. And as Celia says, it's about how small actions can lead to big changes. Celia's characters unite around a common cause, but their success depends on something more than friendship. It depends on each member's ability to be an ally. And it is an awesome story, if I might say so myself. Please welcome my guest, Celia C. Perez, author of Strange Birds, A Field Guide to Ruffling Feathers. My, my name is Celia Perez, and uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. 
Uh, I am the author of two middle grade novels, The First Rule of Punk, published in 2017 by Viking, and my most recent book, uh, Strange Birds, A Field Guide to Ruffling Feathers, published uh, September 2019 by Kokila. Uh, Both are imprints of Penguin Young Readers, and I am also a community college librarian. I live in Chicago with my family. Hey, I didn't know you were a community college librarian. That's new news to me. <laughs> oh, really? I, I am. I yeah. probably heard it, but I, that seems like new news uh-huh. to me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Celia, I'm I so know. glad we are at long last talking. Because me too. Yeah, to give you know people listening context, I read, <laughs> I listened to. I always say it's reading, but I I consume mm-hmm. my middle grade through audiobook because I am a slow yeah. reader. Um, but I'm a really good listener. And, um, when I listened to first rule of punk, I knew the person behind this has to be a person that I would have been like besties with growing through middle (laughs) and high school. And sure enough, when I hopped onto Twitter, I learned all about you, um, through our little micro conversations on Twitter, but also my good friend, uh, Karina Allen interviewed you for yeah. for the Books Between podcast. And I, I, I may mm-hmm. have even said this to you. Uh, I definitely said it to Karina. I thought, there's no way I can interview Celia for First Rule of Punk because Karina did such a beautiful do- job with that interview and talking about all sides of that wonderful, wonderful book. And so I'm so glad to have waited for my chance to talk about Strange Birds because I connected with this book in a fully different and amazing way. But just thank you for making super rad books and for being the person you are through your writing and through the way I know you're going out and visiting schools and living your life and that children are getting to meet you that way. That's super rad. Oh, thanks so much. I think we're done. I think we're done here. <laughs> you, said, you said way too many nice things about me. <laughs> and now, um, I don't know. I don't know what how to respond to that other other than to say thank you. And uh, and we can definitely talk about the first rule of punk too. I spent the day actually, as I do, because I'm like reflecting on uh, the inter, the individual I'm interviewing today. And whenever I am with my students, I'm always thinking like, I wonder if they, they know that I'm talking to this person later. I wonder if they know this book. I wonder if they whatever. But all I kept thinking about today <laughs> was, I wonder what punk rock bands <laughs> were Celia's favorite. Because I think way back when we said we were going to talk about that at some point. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just funny that that's what's been on my brain. But uh-huh. um, but it, it to me, um, strikes that chord of the way that we bring as authors, we bring ourselves into these books, mm-hmm. but that somehow sort of mysteriously others can end up seeing themselves or pieces of themselves in these works as well, that it's a human connection, but it's not virtual, but it's through, through print. It sort of is what makes books magic. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I think you know, th- talking about like bands and and other people being able to see themselves in books, um, that just makes me think about when I do when I do visit with schools. Like yesterday, I did a school visit here in Chicago, and uh, somebody asked me if one of the students asked me if I was punk, <laughs> <laughs> which is always kind of an awkward like question to answer. Um, but it's the perfect opportunity to to talk about you know to talk about punk and what 
the the role that it played in my you know in my life as a young adult um and to talk about it as this thing that's you know not just yeah it's about music and um and you know sometimes it's about an aesthetic but it's not solely about those things and that you can be punk and not look like a punk or be the you know like what people maybe think of when they think of punk um and in that way I think people maybe connect with the story um in a way or more people connect with the story in a way that they may not necessarily if they think if they're thinking of punk just as like you know this loud music that that they just think is totally you know <laughs> strange right yeah i yeah. i think about and i think that this is what made me feel so drawn to you immediately is um reading that book um, made me think a lot about high school in the first bands I was mm-hmm. in. And when later bands ended up, you know, we played in Baltimore and DC and also mm-hmm. backyards and also these things, but, but it also made me remember that a, most of my friends were in the hardcore scene, the Baltimore DC hardcore scene. And I never mm-hmm. could quite be into the music they listened to like yeah. I really was trying to be into some of their music there. And I just was like, I can't I just can't find the connection. We would connect over like uh-huh. middle ground, like dropkick Murphy's or whatever else. Mm-hmm. But um, the family that I found in that, in those hardcore kids and, um, and, and just that fitting in, I mean, there was mm-hmm. even a band I remember that I've never forgotten that lyric that it's my friends look out for me like family. And I just mm-hmm. haven't forgotten it. And I, I to read First Rule of Punk brought back those feelings of for as much as I felt like a loner, for as much as I felt different in high school, um, mm-hmm. I really did have people that even if I wasn't articulating outwardly that they were my family, they were communicating that I was part of theirs and that as, as your book made me reflect on that or made those feelings come up. I feel like that really bonded me tightly to that book. And, um, and in that way, because again, as books are magic, I think that's what bonded me tightly to you because I felt like you were showing yourself in your book as authors do. And I, it, it made me realize, Celia, I don't know that I've said this, before to you or even on record but i as soon as i could read independently as a child um which is like you know picture books first second grade ish um probably Mm -hmm. first grade more um i just stopped reading because my parents aren't really readers and um i just wasn't i mean i could read i loved reading Mm -hmm. for competitions who can read the most whatever or reading to get your book Mm -hmm. it stickers or things like that um i could read like for incentivized reading but um, as soon as I could read independently, I didn't really have models to show me about reading. Yeah. Um, so I missed middle grade. I missed connecting uh-huh. and having that. And so as I read middle grade and as I reflect and as I, you know, raise <laughs> two children, but also teach a ton of mm-hmm. children, it's it's an altogether different and wonderful thing to be able to work with children and to see them connect with books and um, to just allow their joy to, to be my joy as well. So I see people connect over your book 
and it's rad to have that that shared experience with them, Celia. To be like, oh my word, you liked First Rule of Punk? Did you know that I was in a <laughs> punk band? You like this book too? Have you ever done a talent show? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, oh, it, it was just, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I, re- I really love that. And um, yeah, and I, and I like that that it, you know, I, I, I always felt like an out, and I still often feel like an outsider. Like I never quite feel like I'm part of whatever is going on sure. around me. Um, so I, I just, I, you know, I wanted to write a story about this person who feels that way and is able to figure out, you know, or at least start to figure out her place and her people and find her people that are, um, equally outsiders and, um, and begin to see like that there is community. Um, and I, I just, I, I, you know, sometimes people will ask what, what's the message in, in the book. And I, I try not to, to impose a message because I really don't start writing the story with a message, but, um, but I do hope that if anything, um, that kids can read that and see that, you know, no matter who you are or what you're into or how much of an outsider you feel, there's, you know, there's somebody out there who you can connect with. There's yeah. a, there's a place for you. So yeah. I don't, so kids being able to bond over a book is, you know, that's a, that's a cool thing. No doubt. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't, I've only read two of your novels as it turns out. But what I, what I, where I was going to say with that is that I, in these two novels that I've read, um, I don't see messages. I see something different. I see you holding up a mirror to children and saying, you, you are enough and you have power and you have strength and your voice is going to be what changes this world. You know, there's so much about, I know you wrote Strange Birds a while ago because I know that publishing takes time and yet it feels like such a timely story um, Mm -hmm. for Strange Birds to be about activism and about being bonded over a shared goal or focus or interest. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that I feel like it's your books aren't messages. They're, they're just proof that, Hey reader, I see you and you're enough and you're, you're powerful and smart and good. Um, I do want to say before we go away from first rule of punk though, that um, Mm -hmm. I hold that book up all the time as a beautiful example of different kinds of family and how different kinds of family work. It's not like there's this one kind. And if you don't have this one kind of family, there's going to be some problems. Uh You've got, you've got two loving, we have more than that, but two loving adults in, in the life of your main character. And it, it, it just is. There's no doubt about it. And then we come to Strange Birds, and there are adults of all sorts of complexities <laughs> in this <Yeah>. book. Um, <laughs> and I, I love also that, that they are complex. It's not, they're not some sort of binary good or evil depictions of adults, mm-hmm. but rather like, hey, look, there's, we're all sort of out 
to either be good people or look out for ourselves <laughs> or a little bit of both, depending yeah. on the situation. Um, could you please, Celia, if you don't mind, could you please um, give a little book talk of Strange Birds for those that haven't encountered this book yet? Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, that's what I've been doing for the last week. So <laughs> I probably will not do it as well as you do because I'm not a children's librarian, so I don't do it often. But um, so Strange Birds is the it's the story of what happens when this mysterious invitation brings these four very different girls together. And at first they um, they don't feel like they have a whole lot in common, um, but they figure out a way to put aside those differences in order to um, take on this local tradition that is beloved and it's a hundred years old, but they feel it is outdated. Um, And it's a story that uh, it's about a lot of things. There's a lot going on. It's about activism. It's about uh, adventure. It's about history and who gets to, um, tell the stories that are remembered and that are recorded. It's about the idea of small revolutions and that their um, small actions can lead to bigger, bigger changes. Um, It's about community building. Um, There's, uh, there's some mystery, there's some history. So there's a lot, a lot going on. Um, And each chapter is told from the point of view of one of the four girls and um, I always think of it as this book that has five characters. There are the four girls, four individual girls, and then there's the collective group yes. that they form. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah, so that's Strange Birds. The group is a character. There's also mm-hmm. a scene that scared me while I was running at night because it was a night <laughs> oh, no. scene and a bike and a dog. <laughs> yeah, there's. There's a dog. <laughs> there are going There's to be, you know, all readers connect to all books for all different reasons. So yeah, I'm not even lying. That scene, I think, will stick with me for the rest of my life. Oh, I love that. It's so good. I mean, I don't know that it will. I mean, like, I'm literally listening to a children's book that is not intended to be like a suspenseful. I wasn't listening to, you know, Tracy Batiste's new Jumbies book or something. Uh-huh, yeah. I was listening to your book. <laughs> And I had to keep pausing because I was like, I think I hear something. I think I hear a chain rattling. I think I hear a collar. To the point that I had to not listen to your book anymore. It was wonderful how much I realized in that in that run in particular, that section of the book, how much I was deep into your story. Um, and just <laughs> my feet were just moving and I was just in it. Um, there, There's goodness i don't even know i should have been thinking about how i'm going to come into this book with you because i let me come in this way (laughs) if not coming in with the nighttime dog scene um let me come in this way i finished the book and i really i really gave myself a day of not listening to anything else on my phone because i just wanted that last thing from that habit of putting earbuds in my ears to be your book. Mm-hmm. And it was, mm-hmm. I took a, a break from my, you yeah. know, my podcast, my news and my audiobooks to just let strange birds exist in my mind. Um, and wow. one of the things that struck me and I don't, this is going to sound really like, I don't, people can judge all they want. I suppose the thing that really struck me was that I, I came home and I was like, I need to Instagram this book because that's how we share it out in the world. And it's wonderful. And as I was 
opening the book to have it stand up, I mm-hmm. saw your opening quote and realized it must have been that I was just starting <laughs> the book and I didn't read it. But when mm-hmm. I read, if you don't mind, if I can read that the quote is, yeah. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Stephen King from a short story, The Body, mm-hmm. which I know as uh, the inspiration for a movie that as soon as I read mm-hmm. it, I was like, that's what this book is. This book is an activist, modern-ish, whatever inspired story <laughs> of Stand By Me. That's what this is. <laughs> that description (laughs) because as i was reflecting on this book i was like to to me to my reading to the way i experienced your story it felt like four girls that wouldn't typically be like magnetically drawn together but there's Mm -hmm. a purpose to be together much like those characters to me as i think of that movie that i've seen i feel like maybe conservatively a million times um Mm -hmm. i feel like what keeps drawing me back to that movie is that it feels like those four boys shouldn't be together and they are. Mm-hmm. And it really works for why they're together because they, they each help move their journey forward. Um, right. And sometimes by, you know, dragging an anchor behind them, that's going to cause problems later on and sometimes not. Um, and in strange birds, I see that same thing that each of these four girls has a story to live but what they didn't realize is when the others come into their life that those stories are going to overlap and it's going to kind of shake things Mm -hmm. a little bit um the vibrations are going to sort of shake your timeline a little bit um Mm -hmm. but i also see that like we have in life that the those little disruptions can actually cause us to be bonded forever The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter WINNER. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Um, so I'm afraid that as we talk tonight, I don't know how specific I can get because there's, this is such of a feeling book for me, but I think where I want to start asking you, Celia, is just for you, where did this book start? Cause you've got those, as you, as you say, five main characters told through four mm-hmm. voices, but is that how this story started for you? Um, so it started the so the very first seed of of inspiration for this story was um, a few years ago. I had been reading articles about this group that originally was called the Radical Brownies, and 
they then became the radical monarchs when the Girl Scouts asked them to change uh, to not use brownies <laughs> as their name um, because they are they are an alternative scout troop. So this uh, woman in in the Oakland area in California, uh, her daughter wanted to join the Girl Scouts, and um, and so this mom, you know, was thinking about her daughter as a brown girl, as a Latina in this organization. And, um, and she decided that she wanted her to be a part of something similar, but, um, but also that that was more closely, um, like more closely centered her experience as a brown uh, girl in, in this country. And so they formed this group called, that is now called the Radical Monarchs. And, um, and a lot of, you know, what they do is, is uh, based on, uh, revolves around social justice and community activism and, you know, their roles in their communities and making it, you know, a better place. And, and I always, I'm always really intrigued by um, how people kind of switch up traditions, like things that have been around for a very long time in order to fit, you know, their own, you know, needs and desires and like a more contemporary world and contemporary life. And so, um, and so that was kind of the original um, thought. I wanted to write a book about a group of girls that form their own scout troop. And then in, in talking to my editor, um, Joanna Cardenas, about the story and about wanting it to be about a group of girls. And um, I knew initially that I wanted it to be set in Florida, in South Florida, where I grew up. And I knew that I wanted it to be a book that was set during the summer, because it was going to be um, I just kind of started out with this feeling of like that summer boredom where you just don't know what you're going to do with yourself and how you're going to get through these two months of like no school and not seeing your friends and, um, and how you're going to get out of that, <laughs> how you're going to survive it. Um, and then, so we were talking about, about that and, um, we started talking about all of the movies and the books that we had been exposed to growing up that were about kids having adventures and how many of them were centered on boys mm. having adventures. Yep. And so, um, and the one that stands out the most for me because it's one of my favorites was stand by me. And so stand by me sort of became the, um, the, the kind of the outline, the, <laughs> for, for the, you know, for this story. Um, and, and I was reading the, the bus, I watched it again for like, like you for the millionth time and, um, read, uh, the, uh, the body, the novella that, that, uh, the movie was adapted from. And, um, there were a lot of really great quotes about growing up and about friendship in it. And, and the one that I used for the beginning of the book is the one that just really stood out for me because, um, at the heart of the story, it's about these kids who think they have nothing in common, um, figuring out how to be friends and, and not just how to be friends, but how to be allies to each other. Um, you know, especially in the face of coming from very different backgrounds, racially, economically. Um, and so, yeah, so then stand by me and, this group, the Radical Monarchs, just kind of became like the two seeds from from which the story grew. I think that using those jump off points um, seems both powerful and daunting to me. <laughs> had you thought from the start, or had you imagined from the start that that this story would take on those four different viewpoints and how how that would look or feel to write 
uh, those, those changing viewpoints and in, in interlocking viewpoints? Well, funny you should ask that question because <laughs> that was not, that definitely was not it, the original plan. When I wrote the, <laughs> <laughs> when I wrote the first draft, there were only two characters in, in that first draft. There was uh, the character of Ophelia and the character of Lane. And then in, you know, in conversation with my editor and, and talking about like, you know, I want this book to be about this group of kids who forms this you know, scout troop. And um, it just made sense that the group would be more than just two, <laughs> than just two girls. So then I went back and, um, and created uh, Aster and Cat, and once I created them, I and just I just you know I started writing, and I was kind of trying to figure out how I would write this, and eventually realized that it had to be from each of their point of views because um, it, I felt like I couldn't do justice to their individual stories, and I think from the very beginning they they. They came in with with their with these stories, like with each of girl has her own, you know, her own arc, her own desire, her own, you know, wish for what's going to come out of the summer, and it just kind of had to be that way, where each of them had the opportunity to to tell their own story and also the story of the of the group. And your chapters aren't. This is like brilliant design, but your chapters aren't like chapter seventeen. Ophelia's voice it's we lead Uh with the a spot illustration of a of a patch Uh (laughs) you know a troop patch to indicate Uh which of the four are are sort of centered in in that story and I thought Uh that that was another thing that I didn't get that on the audiobook um but I upon leafing through I thought that is such clever design um and just made me want like a set of the patches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I want, I want patches right? as well. Um, I have to just make them. Um, but yeah, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't even thought of that. If you're listening to the audio, how much you don't, you don't necessarily get that. That is, you know, that is a signal or a clue for the readers, like the patches are. Yeah. I mean, we we do get someone doing different voices, so there is right. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like we're left with nothing don't worry <laughs> but um but i i think the way that even without the patches but the way that the patches nod to those qualities that the girls keep bringing to the table over and over the interest in in um writing these headlines for articles mm-hmm. or writing um or making making a dish or, or a dessert i mean or um uh design there's just there's so much that um i don't know it just feels like i mean yeah these would be the patches they would go to first wouldn't it this is like this is my proudest i have all these patches and yet this is the one i'm most proud of it's, the, <laughs> it's my podcasting patch celia that's the one i'm proudest of <laughs> that like <laughs> i know right just a microphone and a one of those p filters for <laughs> to catch all the noises <laughs> no i thought um i i thought that the 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 way you give each child um this diverse background that that makes them have a different home dynamic or a different i should say it more this way what i felt like was you you kept giving us these glimpses of that notion of 
the apple not falling far from the tree in some cases. That in Mm -hmm. some cases you could just see that like, yeah, your grandfather is a ball of love, especially the way that you show up to help him all the time. So of course you would show up to help your friends that way too. Or moments like Mm -hmm. that that just felt like, I get it, that there's some things that, that we are learning through our, uh, through the adults in our life um, that we may not even realize are rubbing off on us. But, um, but it's, I think maybe how we uh, pay attention to those things and turn from them or embrace them that end up defining mm-hmm. us. And that's, that's not a bad thing to, to embrace or uh, turn away from it's, it's necessary, but I, I think the way, that, that your girls went through that was beautiful. I also have to say, because I noticed on the cover that one of the patches is a flamingo, that <laughs> when flamingos came up in this book, and we should talk about birds in this book, of course, uh-huh. when flamingos <laughs> came up in this book, I kept thinking about Baltimore. Because, you know, mm-hmm. from Baltimore and John Waters films, um, oh, and yeah, Divine, we have all those pink flamingos. Yeah. And there was okay. a... There was uh, an active protest. I don't know how many years ago now. I think I was in college at that point where uh, the town was upset at the mayor doing something. I forget um, who the name of our mayor, what her name was at that point. Um, But I do remember that they (laughs) covered the lawn of, you know, that the (laughs) judicial building with pink flamingos. I have to look it up for you. I just I remember that seeing that in Baltimore, the photos of that uh, years ago. I'll have to make a note to look it up for you. I'll link it in the show notes too for people if they're curious. Uh-huh. But nice. so when Big yeah, Flamingos came up in this, my brain was like, "Oh, I know what you're doing with Big Flamingos." <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I'm, I had not heard of that. I'd have to I'll have to look that up. Um, I'm gonna make a note. But yeah. I like that. <laughs> John Waters inspired. <laughs> right? Somewhere back in the recesses of your brain and your subconscious. Uh, maybe, I don't know. So I wonder, um, and I, I'm not trying to go too deeply into the minutiae of, of how different details come up, because I know that sometimes details, like these moments, these truths that characters reveal to us, is just that. These girls, Ophelia, and... Uh, you know, Cad and Lane and Aster. Oh, Aster. Oh, Aster. Mm-hmm. Oh, Aster. Um, but know, sometimes these that. characters, they just, <laughs> they, they speak to you, the author. That's something that it took me writing to realize that that's actually a thing that we can listen to our characters and that they will, if we're lucky, speak to us. But I wonder yeah. for you, Celia, where, where the title came from or if it was centering on birds and those Mm -hmm. feathers. And I remember learning that, that the bird count started because of this craze of hunting birds Mm -hmm. for the purpose of making these fancy hats. And that, that, that annual bird count started as a means of, saying let's go look at the birds and count the birds and observe them instead of hunting to you know decorate um but where where did that it's such a pivotal 
central um, sort of theme in your story. Where did it come in for you in writing this? Yeah, that's that's definitely one of those things that was not it was not part of the original draft um, because the bird the bird watching and the birds are cats thing and she was not in the very first draft of the book oh. um, and in developing her character um, and I can't I can't remember if I decided she would be a bird watcher first or if I was just I might have just been doing research on something else and you know those rabbit holes you you know you start doing research on one thing and all of a sudden you're reading something completely <laughs> different and <laughs> so as a librarian I'm sure you and a writer I'm sure you know what I'm talking about but um so I I came across an article um I think it was either in I think it might have been on the Smithsonian's website about um about this trend of women wearing hats with bird feathers and um, sometimes bird parts or entire taxidermied birds mm-hmm. um, about a hundred years ago and how that led to um, to a couple of women in the Boston area who became pretty vocal activists um, and and that eventually led to um, not just the, the the passing of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, um, that protects birds, but also the founding of um, of Audubon chapters uh, around the country, uh, and and I was just just fascinated by that story and that history, and um, and when I was thinking of what would what these girls would kind of bond over, what 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 their what their mission would be. Um, because one of these characters was going to be a bird watcher, then it became about a hat about a feathered hat. So that's where it came from. And it's, it is, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to, to pinpoint where exactly like ideas come from. Sometimes I sometimes will have um, kids ask, you know, where did the idea for this come from? And it's not, and, and it's not always like, I wish I'd written it down as soon as I thought yeah. of it. So then I'd go back and say, well, it came to me on this day after doing this, but you know, there's so much research and reading and um, and thinking that goes into into writing the story that you just sort of lose track of where the origins are. But um, so I don't know if the feathered hat came before or after Cat became a bird watcher, but they were somehow connected. Um, you know, one led to the other, and. Uh, and it and it's just been it's kind of been a really fascinating um, thing to to work on because it led me to be interested in bird watching myself. I mean, that's something that I never really thought I would. Not that I, you know, I, I love birds, but it, they were never something that I would specifically go out and look for or notice. Yeah. And um, and uh, as a result of writing the book, we we did our my family did our first Christmas bird count last Christmas. Um, which you just mentioned that Christmas bird yep. count that uh, that also originated, um, you know, in part because of this trend and, and this desire to you know keep track of birds and see how things are changing and how populations are changing. Um, we we did a Christmas bird count last Christmas, which was really cool. But um, I don't know. Writing is one of those things that I, I describe as it's not magical, but it, I mean it's not magic, but it can be magical. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> It's, because you definitely, you know, it's it's uh, you don't you don't know where it comes from, and yet there it is. <laughs> it's sort of a cool 
experience, though, to realize that we as humans outliving life, that our brain in the background is just sort of cataloging every single thing. Mm -hmm. But I think so many people, unless they're working in the arts or in some creative field, their brain probably has almost no reason to tap back into those things, at least as readily as it does when you're thinking of story and thinking of lives of, of characters outside of your own. Mm -hmm. Um, So what Mm -hmm. a neat thing that sometimes it comes up and you're just like, Oh yeah, I heard this podcast or I saw this weird hat at a thrift shop one time, or I like, you just don't know. So it, there is that sort of ineffable quality to it. I know it was in me somewhere, but I don't know why my brain cataloged that detail. Yeah. And any, any, any small thing could be like any small item can become the center of a story. Um, And it was kind of fun writing this book because I did, I did read about all kinds of things. And so I started keeping a list of all the, all the topics I was researching. (laughs) I was looking up and and researching, (laughs) you know, like flamingos and key lime pie and, you yeah. know, history of a particular area in South Florida and um, just all kinds of things. And, um, and it's just, it's kind of neat to see how it all, all sort of comes together. So I know we've been talking sort of around and about the book, but not specifically zoning into the book. I want to mention, because we are on this topic of this hat, that in the book, it's this, this prized hat of the Flora's this mm-hmm. group that that our four girls uh, in so many words are sort of rebelling against but where i found that and this hat is like locked up under lock and key behind this glass mm. display but um when each of them finds their place in the cause that they're working for or perhaps against in depending on how you're approaching it um i found that it was revealing the complexity of activism as well and i thought that's a really fascinating thing to explore with children that we all step into causes for really different reasons we can fight for the same thing but we're really coming at it from very different reasons um i i i thought too because i wanted to pull or come back to call back the um that 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 notion of adults being you know not binary in these books that you're writing and that Mm -hmm. that you have an adult in the lives of these children that for all the ways these kids think we are finally outsmarting the floras and we're gonna you know we're gonna send our message people are gonna get it Mm -hmm. to put an adult in their life who is not actively trying to stop them in that way, but rather she herself is spinning misfortune into, you know, something benefiting her, which is like a thing that we should do when something is bad and throwing us off course, we should find a way to make it right. It is that whole notion of getting handed lemons and turning them into lemonade. But to see that through the viewpoint of, no, we're try- our girls are trying to stop you, and you keep making lemonade. Um, was such a I realized like I have never experienced that other side of the coin this way, um, and I really, really um, 
it it awoken my my senses in a way i suppose Celia, that i just i couldn't shake and so i had to without giving away the story i just wanted to mm-hmm. nod to it and say for uh, that that i'm almost in a way envious of readers reading it for the first time because i won't ever be able to return to this book without knowing some of the things that will happen but the yeah. surprise and the the delight of experiencing it for the first time made me feel frustrated and at times joyous and at times just all over the place with these girls and I love that that this is not the first draft of your book that you went through drafts and drafts and this is where you landed it's so great oh I love that thank you and and I have to say that that character you're referring to was um one of my favorites to write because I just can't stand right. her. <laughs> and, and, and in writing, I just, I, I got such pleasure from having her um, out kind of outwit or outdo these girls and then forcing them, like pushing them to figure out like, what are you going to do now? <laughs> like, what is your, you know, what's your next, next step? And I think at, and, and, you know, I think at one point, one of them says something along the lines of appreciating that, like she, she realizes what this person is doing. And, and I think, you know, gets that on a level that maybe um, then allows them to move on to the next, yeah. like the next step of their, of their mission so <laughs> it's so funny i can't get away from stand by me and like how i don't want to tell people what that movie is i just want you to watch it it's like this book i feel myself with that feeling of i don't want to tell you the details of this book because you just need to read it you just need to experience yeah. it it's great i think also oh, of thanks. how in first rule of punk all i could think of is oh my word we're all going to be making zines because of this book. This is so (laughs) rad. And I was never, I never got into making zines because where I got into Uh was like making comics and making drawing out video game characters. And that's where, where my, I was aware of zines. I had friends that made them. I have been now as an adult to ALA and have seen the whole like Mm -hmm. section for zines, but to have your novel, have that. And then we read this and all I could think of is, Oh my word, we're going to be silk screening stickers. This is amazing. <laughs> and that did totally bring me so. back. That would be, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. I'm waiting for that. Coming up with slogans <laughs> and silk screening some yeah. stickers is so good. Yeah. The access yeah. is all right there. It makes me think of a friend as a, as a child that just had a button maker. I've always wanted a button maker. And my friend yeah. had a button maker and just would make buttons out of like, you know, it, it, old issues of Nintendo Power. So I was like, "How did you get a Mario button?" <laughs> oh, I have a button maker at home. Or how did you get that? It's just that. Um, if you don't mind, Celia, I, I know we are reaching the end of our conversation. I never wanted to end, as you can tell. But um, <laughs> I wonder if I could read the one time that I went back in my uh, arc of the book while I was listening to it to fold down mm-hmm. a page was a scene that I realize um, really shows our characters from so many different dimensions together. But it also Mm -hmm. is sort of a nod to Stand By Me. Um, At least to me, it is. To this reader, it is. So I wonder if I could read Mm -hmm. an excerpt to you that won't give away anything of the story, but will, um, I think, give a connection of of the, the girls connected. 
So, um, we are along the beach. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it, it reads, <laughs> something shiny among a pile of seaweed that had washed onto the beach caught Ophelia's eye. She moved closer to get a better look. Come here, she called to the other girls. Cat, Aster, and Lane walked over. A man-of-war's sail glistened pink and purple and blue, like a big soap bubble reflecting light, threatening to burst. It's beautiful, Cat said dreamily. I feel so sad for it. I wonder how they end up on the beach, Aster said, brushing sand off her knees. They just drift, Cat explained. They can't intentionally move, so they depend on the wind and currents. Must have just drifted too close to the shore, poor thing. Don't you mean poor things? Lane corrected. Look at all that garbage that washed in with it. Among the tangle of seaweed and the creatures, uh, tentacles was a plastic supermarket bag and popsicle wrapper and a styrofoam cup. People can be so gross and careless, Esther said, a hint of anger in her voice. This is why we can't have anything nice. Lane agreed. Um, I have to stop myself because I'm realizing that I'm in danger of reading your entire book. Um, <laughs> what I wanted to point out in that, <laughs> realizing that people are also listening to our interview, not <laughs> me me reading the audiobook, is that um, I like that you've given, and this is not the only moment, but Celia, you do such a beautiful job in this book of stopping us, the readers, to give us a moment to allow your characters to all examine something from different angles. And it's not just mm. this Manowar, although this Manowar is such a beautiful connection to other things happening in the story. Um, it's a lot of things that they examine the hat or they examine <laughs> um, a painting in their sort of fort hideout space, or they examine, there's just different mm-hmm. things that, pairs or groups are examining together and it's that introspection that i found um really complemented the activism so well giving your character time to think as well as the space to act whether or not the conclusions drawn from thinking or the results of acting are what was intended you've given that moment to just have space for them and um, I'm grateful that in making that space for them, you give space for your reader to be there and to look over those characters' shoulders and to and to see themselves in that space as well. Well, thank you. That's that's really lovely, and and I'm I'm glad that 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 comes through. I mean, you know, as a writer, you never know what what readers are going to read and take from it. And so I'm, I'm really, I hope that that young readers will, will take that as well. I, I hope that your readers, whether through writing to you or emailing you or your, or their teachers or parents come contacting you. I hope that they find a means of communicating to you how they feel about your stories and how they feel about other authors' stories to those authors. I think about how you've spent all this time writing this book 
And I wonder how often children get the chance to communicate to you um, these things. That I should say, the quote that I was reading, the page that I was reading, I had mm-hmm. noted to end on this great line, which is, everything was so dangerous, Ophelia thought. She felt empathy for the creature that had no control over something so basic as where it wanted to be. Mm. I don't know. There's just this so much there. Thank you, Celia, for giving me opportunity to, to speak to you, to see your characters through my lens um, and to, to communicate the love that I have for them and for you for writing this story. So thank you for your time tonight. Oh, well, thank you, Matthew. Thanks. Um, Thank you for, for reading and for sharing this with, I know you're in touch with a lot of young readers and um, you know, I hope whoever reads it gets what they need from the story. And and I so appreciate you and the work you do and, and, uh, and hearing your kind words about strange birds. There are so many more kind words and so many more questions. Let's please just meet up and talk and let me continue talking your ear off. <laughs> let me continue exploring this field guide of ruffling feathers. So good. Yeah. Ah, so good. But I digress. I've had enough time on this podcast. I've used my voice more than enough. Um, I would like to bring us to your readers and give you a chance to speak directly to them. Celia, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. I know many people listening will see classes in libraries full of children. Is there a message that we can bring to them from you? Oh boy. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I I feel like as an adult, when I look back on my childhood, there was so much that, um, that I did not know. And that was not said to me by adults. Um, and one of the things that really, that often stands out for me is the idea of power and how powerful we each are. Um, so I think my message would be that you are powerful and that you can create and you can dismantle and you can bring change um, and that you don't need anyone's permission to be you. This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. 
those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.